The Boston Red Sox offseason has been an absolute bust. Find out more on today's Locked on Red Sox. You are Locked on Red Sox, your daily Boston Red Sox podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Red Sox, your daily Boston Red Sox podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gabby Hurlbut, former ESPN social media associate and current host of the Boston Balling Podcast. And I am here to bring you the latest in all things Boston Red Sox, Monday through Friday, straight to your favorite podcast feed for free. And what's better than free? Nothing, right? So tune in Monday to Friday. Locked On is your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. So welcome to another episode of the show where we're just coming off of truck day, that big truck is loaded with stuff for spring training and it is on its way to Fort Myers as we speak. Hard to get very excited about truck day this year. Usually there's a lot more enthusiasm for that event among the fan base, but just not as much to be excited about this year. And on today's show, I'm going to be diving into why that is. We're going to be taking a close look at a timeline of what the Boston Red Sox offseason has looked like so far. And I say so far because, yes, spring training is close. And am I confident this will happen? No. But there is still some more time for the Red Sox to make moves. I hope they are thinking the same way and they feel that because this team needs more than what they have right now. And it's just been a little bit disappointing to see the way things have gone down. And I thought I would start by refreshing your memory on just all the moves that have been made and we can sit here and hope that they decide to make some more moves. So it really started with the month of October because again, the Red Sox season ended at the end of September because they were not playing postseason baseball, which is very disappointing. So on October 12th, they reassigned catcher Steven Scott, infielders Christian Koss and Nick Sogard, outfielder Narciso Crook, and infielder slash outfielder Ryan Fitzgerald to minor league camp. These are all depth guys that the Red Sox are hoping to eventually get something out of and they want to see them develop. And this move was not long before they named Craig Breslow the chief baseball officer. That actually took place on October 24th. And when Craig Breslow took the job, I was excited, but also a little bit hesitant, given the fact that the Red Sox interviewed so many candidates, and it seemed like there were quite a few people turning down the job in Boston, and it wasn't as much of a desirable location for people. So because of that, I was worried that the Red Sox might be settling for somebody in that role. And I said, is Craig Breslow going to be able to be effective in this position? And so far, it seems as if he's really still focused on the future. 
doesn't want to spend as much time bringing in proven talent to the major league roster. He's more about the development of current players and waiting for them to evolve into the players that they can be. And while that can work sometimes, it doesn't work with everybody. Not everybody pans out in the majors. And I've said this before, and the everydayers on the show will remember this, but I've said you can't bank on every prospect panning out. There will be guys who do that make it at the major league level and are very good for your team. There will be others who don't. And that's just the way that it works. You're not going to hit on every single prospect. So it's taking a bit of a risk to bank on all of your prospects working out. And even with Breslow's philosophy of rotating through the designated hitter position, that's something that I'm a little bit concerned about. The Red Sox have always had a consistent DH that is primarily serving as a DH for their team. So this is something new that the Red Sox haven't really had experience with. So I'm curious to see how that works. And also Breslow, another thing he talked about that was a similar philosophy to that was that he doesn't necessarily feel like you need a set closer. You can rotate people in to take on that role. And Andrew Bailey mentioned a very similar thing in one of his interviews. And so it seems like they have a similar philosophy on that. So Breslow coming in, obviously it's such a short sample size still. He hasn't had a full off season yet to work with, but I definitely would like to see some more moves by him. So then you go into November and if you remember Adalberto Mondesi was a member of the Boston Red Sox in 2023. He did not play. He was injured all season. So on November 2nd, the Red Sox reinstated him from the 60-day injured list. And then he elected free agency along with Adam Duvall and James Paxton. These are all guys that I expected to explore free agency. It makes sense. I mean, James Paxton is coming off of a very solid first half shortly into the second half season so he might as well have gone to free agency explore what's out there for him and Adam Duvall I could say the same thing he wasn't healthy the whole season but when he was healthy he was making an impact and he was the most significant and consistent bats that the Red Sox had during the 2023 season so I don't blame any of those guys for electing free agency but I said okay so now it's time for the Red Sox to bring in some guys and sign some free agents So then we got to the period where the Red Sox had to work through the contracts of players that had a club option for the 2024 season, basically meaning, do the Red Sox want to exercise this player's option or not? So on November 4th, they declined the 2024 club option on Corey Kluber's contract and also announced that same day that Justin Turner declined his 2024 player option. So although I was disappointed about Justin Turner, I also didn't blame him because he wanted to explore free agency, see if he could get some more money. And I hoped that would be with the Red Sox, but we all know how that went down. He signed with the Blue Jays because the Red Sox refused to have a conversation with him to bring him back. So that's a little bit disheartening, but they reinstated Mondesi. He elected free agency, Adam Duvall elected free agency, James Paxton elected free agency, 
then Justin Turner elected free agency, and then they chose, obviously, to not bring back Kluber. So that's a lot of guys electing free agency in a short time span. So they then went and they declined the 2024 club option for Joely Rodriguez on November 5th. Kind of made sense. Unfortunately, he kind of got the short end of the stick in terms of didn't really fully get to showcase what he could do because he spent some time on the IL during the 2023 season. And when he did pitch, he didn't have the best outings. So it was kind of unfortunate how that went down. But he's now a free agent. We'll see where he signs now. The next day on November 6th, the Red Sox reinstated Jaron Duran and right-handed pitcher Wyatt Mills from the 60-day injured lifts. That same day, the Red Sox found out Justin Garza was electing free agency. So that was another arm that wasn't the best arm on the pitching staff, but certainly was a depth option for them. And they need depth in the pitching staff. And they haven't fully grasped that concept this offseason yet, it seems. So a pretty action-packed start to November. So then we're looking at mid-November, November 14th. The Red Sox selected the contracts of right-handed pitcher Wickelman Gonzalez from Portland and right-handed pitcher Louis Perales from Greenville, both of which are minor league affiliates of the Boston Red Sox. Both are guys who definitely have potential, and the Red Sox are interested in seeing what they can do and what they can bring to the table in 2024. I'm hoping that they can provide a spark that the Red Sox need because I'm not looking at this pitching staff and saying it's incredibly solid right now. So if they can get these two guys to bring the potential that people feel they have, that could be a very good situation for Boston. So that's all up for debate right now and up in the air. Then on November 16th, the Red Sox agreed to terms with right-handed pitcher Louis Cabrera on a contract and also agreed to terms with the left-handed pitcher Helcrease Olivares on a minor league contract. So these are small moves that the Red Sox made, but they're moves to hopefully enhance that depth like I was talking about on the pitching staff. A lot of the moves the Red Sox have made this year are depth moves. They needed to be more aggressive this offseason, especially with the fact that they came in last place in their division again last year, but they're still feeling like they want to fill out their depth, and that's what a lot of these moves were for them. So then on November 17th, the first big trade that the Red Sox made of the offseason happened. They acquired right-handed pitcher Isaiah Campbell from the Mariners in exchange for infielder Louis Urias. They also, at that point, failed to offer a 2024 contract to right-handed pitcher Wyatt Mills. So Mills was kind of played around with a lot here because he was reinstated from the 60-day injured list only to then not be offered a contract a couple weeks later. That was the same day that the Red Sox acquired Campbell for Urias. And Ultimately, that's a move that needed to happen because the Red Sox didn't need Urias in their infield, especially with the fact that they're hopefully going to have a fully healthy Trevor Story. And now they have Vaughn Grissom in there, who I'm going to talk about a little bit later on the show, who's definitely an upgrade from Urias. So the fact that they used him to flip him into a solid pitcher that they can utilize is a good move for them. So I actually agreed with that move by Breslow. And it's one that made sense for Boston at the time. And then on November 21st is when the Red Sox named Andrew Bailey pitching coach. I've expressed how much I'm a fan of Andrew Bailey on the show. I think he's going to be great for this Red Sox team 
He brings a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience and a track record of success with him. So for the Red Sox, this was a great move, bringing in somebody who was so desirable after being in San Francisco and having a track record there. So I'm excited to have Bailey here. So it was certainly a busy couple months for Boston. A lot of it was ironing out contracts with players who could become a free agent, opting to bring them back or not, and trying to fill out their depth a little bit. And coming up, I'm going to be talking about what the month of December looked like for Boston. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. I'll tell you, I really don't know much at all about cars. I'll be the first to admit that. So eBay Motors has had my back so many times, and I really don't know what I would have done without them. Also, you can subscribe to Locked On Sports today on YouTube as we have launched the first ever National Sports 24-7 streaming channel. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever National Sports 24-7 streaming channel. This is so exciting for Locked On as a network because no other network has this. So subscribe to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube so you can enjoy it. In talking about a timeline and review of what the Boston Red Sox offseason has looked like so far. They did have a relatively busy December. December 5th was the big trade of the offseason that Red Sox fans are going to remember for two reasons. One, because they shipped out Alex Verdugo, a core member of that Boston Red Sox team that came as the main piece in the Mookie Betts trade. So Red Sox fans thought that Alex Verdugo was going to be here for a long time. For the reason of them having an overload of outfielders, it made sense to move somebody. And Verdugo, with his off-field issues with Alex Cora, did make the most sense. And the other reason that Red Sox fans are really going to remember this trade, and it was super notable, was that they actually made the trade with the New York Yankees, which is just still weird to me to this day. But the Red Sox acquired right-handed pitchers Greg Weiser, Richard Fitz and Nicholas Judas from the Yankees in the trade for Alex Verdugo. So it worked out well for the Red Sox because they were able to get three talented pitchers who they could use as depth options. It's too soon to say whether they're going to really work out and fit in Boston or if they're going to be guys who kind of hang out in the minors and don't ever take that next step to make it up to the majors. And if they do make it up to the majors, are they going to end up being sent back down? Too soon to say, but either way, 
it's pitching depth and the chances of at least one of the three of them working out in the majors is pretty good for Boston. So they absolutely needed the pitching depth. That's what made the most sense when they trade Alex Verdugo. I have liked some of the moves that Breslow has made so far. It's just a matter of the fact that he hasn't been super aggressive and hasn't been willing to go out and get that number one starting pitcher or that solidified guy who definitively makes the Red Sox a better team. That's the main issue I've had so far, whether that's on him or it's ownership's decision and guidance that's making him make those decisions. I'm not happy about it either way, but I think the return in the Alex Verdugo trade was pretty good for Boston. Then on December 6th, the day after the big Alex Verdugo news, the Red Sox acquired right-handed pitcher Justin Slayton from the New York Mets in exchange for minor league left-handed pitcher Ryan Ammons and cash considerations. So basically it was just a pitching swap. The Red Sox probably saw some upside in Slayton that maybe the Mets didn't see and vice versa with Ammons. So it's basically just a swap of pitchers. And the Red Sox have worked with the Mets a couple times this offseason most recently acquiring a catcher, which I'm going to be talking about a little bit later in the show. But Slayton has some upside for sure. He has to have more experience, again, in order for us to know. But it seems like the Red Sox philosophy that they're taking is that they're not afraid to take chances on pitchers who haven't had a proven track record in the majors. And they're willing to give these guys an opportunity to work in their system and be guys who can eventually come up and develop and be a strong piece of the Red Sox organization down the road. So Slayton is somebody who the Red Sox are probably anxious to see work with Andrew Bailey, find out what his strengths are, and figure out what they can do to maximize his potential. So then two days later, on December 8th, after a week full of moves for Boston, the Red Sox responded to shipping out Alex Verdugo pretty quickly when they acquired outfielder Tyler O'Neill from the St. Louis Cardinals in exchange for right-handed pitchers Nick Robertson and Victor Santos. Tyler O'Neill, the main concern with him is that he spent a lot of the last few years on the injured list. If he can stay healthy, though, he has a great bat for Fenway. He's been a gold glover in the outfield, so I'm sure his defense will make a huge difference in Boston. So that's something the Red Sox liked about him. Overall, if he can stay healthy, he's an upgrade in the outfield from Alex Verdugo. But again, my main concern with him is health. And Nick Robertson, we saw pitch at the major league level a few times for the Boston Red Sox in 2023. He didn't have any performances that were outstanding but he definitely did show some upside and some potential later on as the end of the season approached so I'm not necessarily saying it's a huge loss for the Red Sox was there potential there for sure but whether that potential was gonna stay consistent it's hard to say so the Red Sox traded for somebody that filled a major need for them but we just have to hope that Tyler O'Neill steps it up on both sides of the ball because we definitely need the offense from him and the defense is going to be good if he can stay healthy. So then on December 13th, the Red Sox agreed to terms with right-handed pitcher Cooper Criswell on a one-year contract. This is kind of a low-risk, high-reward situation. Criswell doesn't have the best numbers, but he's the type of guy who, if he can figure it out 
can be incredibly valuable. We've seen some high moments from him and some not so good moments from him. He absolutely thrived a lot of the times when he was pitching in the minors. So it just becomes, can he consistently find that identity in Boston and be able to pitch well on a more regular basis because consistency has always been a problem with him throughout his career. So can the Red Sox make him more consistent? That's what the hope is. If they can't though, it's a one-year contract, no harm, no foul. If he doesn't succeed and doesn't perform well, then they just don't bring him back in 2025. Similar to the Corey Kluber situation, bring the guy in, see what he can do. And if it doesn't work out, then you just don't bring him back the next season. So then on December 30th, 2023, the last move the Red Sox made in the 2023 calendar year was a big splash that the Red Sox made when they acquired infielder Vaughn Grissom from the Atlanta Braves for left-handed pitcher Chris Sale in cash considerations. They love giving away cash considerations, but it's a better way of working out a fair deal with a team than having to give up multiple players. So acquiring Vaughn Grissom helped fill a massive need in the infield because it was still unclear what the second base situation was going to be, who was going to play second base consistently. We weren't really sure. And Vaughn Grissom may still not be the everyday second baseman, but I assume that's kind of what their plan is. And they hope that he can be that person for Boston. Giving up Chris Sale to me was something that needed to happen because he just couldn't stay healthy. And the Red Sox really tried to be patient with him. And I tried to be patient with him. I love his attitude. I love how hard he works. But ultimately, the Red Sox weren't really getting a lot of productivity out of him anymore. So ultimately, they did what they had to do by pulling the plug there. I look forward to seeing what Vaughn Grissom can do in this Red Sox organization. I think he could be a major difference maker, especially from a defensive standpoint in the infield. And if he lives up to his potential, the bat can be there too. So it's definitely a question mark. It's can he adapt to playing in Boston and can he live up to the hype surrounding him? That's the question we're going to be asking about Vaughn Grissom. And coming up, I'm going to be going over the 2024 moves that the Boston Red Sox have made so far. Are you a big fan of sports betting? Are you finding yourself constantly looking for new ways to win money? If you answered yes to either of those questions or both, FanDuel is absolutely the place for you. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. I just love everything about Super Bowl Sunday, watching a fun halftime performer, seeing two teams just go head-to-head -head who have been so good all season long with so much talent, eat all of this good food. I know one of my friends who's coming over my house for the Super Bowl is bringing a buffalo chicken dip that she's made before, and it's absolutely delicious. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm also looking forward to some of these bets that you can make on the Super Bowl. I really like the anytime touchdown of Travis Kelsey or Patrick Mahomes throwing at least two touchdowns. These are safe bets that you can make, and the bets will be updated throughout the week 
as there's more analysis of the game going on, whether players are ruled out or they're playing. So you definitely want to keep an eye on it throughout the week, but you can win so much money, which is what I love about FanDuel. FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, like I mentioned, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. FanDuel's so much fun, so you should definitely check it out today. Also, don't forget that you can subscribe to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and have access to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. It's very exciting because nobody else does this. We are the only ones, and we will keep you updated on all things going on in sports. So subscribe to Locked On Sports Today. In coming to this conclusion that the Boston Red Sox had a very underwhelming offseason. There still were a lot of moves made along the way. They just weren't big enough moves that Red Sox fans were hoping for. And when we approach 2024, people are wondering, what are the Red Sox going to do? Are they going to make more moves to improve this roster? On January 2nd, 2024, they claimed right-handed pitcher Max Castillo off waivers from Kansas City. This was a pitcher that I said, okay, the Red Sox just added somebody for pitching depth. We'll see how he does. He'll probably start in the minors and then work his way up to being on the major league roster. But depending on injuries, that could change. It didn't last long, though. The Red Sox did end up having to DFA him, and I'm going to dive into that in a little bit. But... Shortly after they claimed Max Castillo, the next day on January 3rd is when they agreed to terms with Lucas Giolito on a one-year contract with an option for 2025. In the process, they designated Mauricio Jovera for assignment. Whenever you pick somebody up that you're going to add to the roster, you need to remove somebody because of that roster limit. So they decided to DFA Mauricio Jovera as the corresponding move He was never very impressive in Boston. The Red Sox had acquired him from the San Francisco Giants close to the trade deadline last year, and he was very up and down. He had some decent outings. He had some not-so-great outings, but I never sat there and said, wow, I really like Jovera and what he can do. So that was never the case. So it made sense that the Red Sox moved him because they didn't really have a need for him anymore, and it was the corresponding move for Giolito, who – Hopefully, now that he's overcome some hardships over the last couple of years in his personal life, that he can get back to being fully focused on baseball and Andrew Bailey can work with him to get him back to some of that dominance that we saw from him earlier on in his career. Because if he can get back to that, he could be a secret weapon out of the Red Sox rotation. But the question really is if he does. That's the key word there. So if he does... It's a great move for Boston. On January 11th, the Red Sox agreed to terms with right-handed pitchers Nick Pavetta and John Schreiber, catcher Reese McGuire, and outfielder Tyler O'Neill on one-year contracts. This was basically to avoid arbitration. What that means is if a player is arbitration eligible and the teams can't come to an agreement on a deal, it basically gets sent to 
a quartz, quote unquote, of people who listen to both sides and kind of help settle the contract disagreement that way. So those players all reached agreements with the Red Sox so they didn't have to go to arbitration. So that's an important thing because you need to lock in your guys. And when you have somebody like Reese McGuire, it's only him and one other catcher on the team. And he was a pretty solid backup catcher in 2023. So you definitely wanted to make sure that happened. So that all happened on January 11th. And then a week later was when Andy Fox was officially named the first base coach for Boston and Kyle Hudson, the third base coach. Andy Fox is somebody who's been around the Red Sox organization for a few years. He was named the minor league infield coordinator by the team for the 2011 season and then held that position as of 2019 while also adding responsibilities of assistant field coordinator for Boston's player development organization. So he had a few more tasks at hand for him, but he was still technically considered the minor league infield coordinator. Then in December 2021, Fox was named to Boston's major league coaching staff in the role of field coordinator until eventually in January, he was promoted to first base coach. So he's been around the organization, whether he'll be effective as a first base coach, it's still hard to say, but I like the fact that he's familiar with the Red Sox organization. So hopefully that helps in terms of him being able to see some success in that position. And then Kyle Hudson, the third base coach, he originally served as bench coach for the Columbus Clippers, which is the triple A affiliate of Cleveland in 2019. He was then promoted to the team's major league coaching staff for the 2020 season, serving as a staff assistant. Until January 2023, when he was named the first base coach and infield instructor for the Red Sox. So then after one season as the first base coach, he was then named the third base coach in January of this year. So it'd be interesting to see how he makes that transition from being a first base coach to being a third base coach. Because although some of the mentality is the same, there are some things that are different. So hopefully he can ease into that role and doesn't have complications with the fact that it's different from what he's used to, but time will tell. And then they also announced Andrew Bailey as the pitching coach officially on January 18th. January 26th, the Red Sox agreed to terms with catchers Mark Colasvari and Roberto Perez on minor league contracts. These, again, are depth moves, not anything to really read too much into just guys who can hopefully help at the minor league level to develop some of the pitching there and help some of those guys get to the point where they can come up and compete at the major league level so that was a minor depth move again it seems to be the theme of the red sox offseason and then five days later on january 31st the red sox claimed infielder slash outfielder romy gonzalez off waivers from the chicago white sox and the corresponding move was they designated right-handed pitcher zach weiss for assignment i like gonzalez because of the fact that he can play multiple positions he's played pretty much every position in the infield and he's also cycled his way through the outfield so he does have experience that way so he can provide some value as a utility player which i like i don't expect him to be an everyday player but he's somebody who can certainly provide some variety in what he can do and provide value in that utility role. I did like what I saw from Zach Weiss when he came out of the Red Sox bullpen, but hopefully the Red Sox bullpen will be competitive enough in 2024 to the point where I won't miss him. 
And finally, on February 2nd, most recent move the Red Sox made was acquiring catcher Tyler Heineman from the New York Mets in exchange for cash considerations. Again, the corresponding move was a designated right-handed pitcher, Max Castillo, for assignment. So Castillo really had a time that was short-lived in Boston, exactly a month's worth of time he was here. So we'll never know how he would have been in a Boston Red Sox uniform. But Tyler Heineman is great for the pitching development at the AAA level for the Red Sox because the Red Sox don't have the best pitching depth in the minors. So if they have a catcher down there who can help with that development, that's going to be great. So encompassing everything the Red Sox did this offseason, lots of minor moves, one major acquisition that was Lucas Giolito, another somewhat major acquisition, depending on how he does in Tyler O'Neill. But other than that, you can sum up the Red Sox offseason as focusing a lot on depth and enhancing their coaching staff. Those were the two things I look at as what they've primarily done. Will they make more moves? Time will tell. I hope they do. But as always, keep the faith. Go Red Sox. And I will catch you on the flip side.